Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Taking a minute to celebrate all the mamas. Um, I was looking just earlier at the last service. Um, One of my great friends, Laura, was sitting here, and she had her foster baby with her. Um, she's got a house full of foster babies, and so do many people in our church. So we're celebrating our foster mamas. We're celebrating our mamas who have painfully birthed their babies. <laughs> Holla. Um, we're celebrating mamas who carried their babies in their hearts and adopted them into their homes, which is such a beautiful picture of Jesus and how he um, made it possible for us to be adopted into the family of God. And we're, we're celebrating the mamas that are spiritual mamas. And maybe you don't have a baby in your arms and you, you haven't, but you are a spiritual mother to many. There are so many ways that we can celebrate moms today. Um, so happy Mother's Day to you if you're a mama. Thank you, team. You guys are just nice to have back. It's like emotional support team. Emotional support music. Uh, um, To all the mamas who Mother's Day is hard, um, I just want to say that we see you today too. I spent um, many a Mother's Day when I was in my early 20s after we lost our first baby when church was hard to come to on Mother's Day. So if you made it today and it was a hard day to get here, well done. Um, there There are seasons in life where we do hard things, but I can promise you the best place you can be in a season where it's hard um, is close to God because the Holy Spirit is like balm to your wounds and just showing up. I've never regretted showing up to the house of God. It's been really hard to get there sometimes, but I've never regretted positioning myself to receive from God and to be in his presence. So if today's a hard day for you, I just want to say it's going to get better because God is a healer, Um, but it's also okay to feel the grief of today and know that we, we love you and that I believe God is going to do something special in your heart today as you just trust him with a hard day. Good? Awesome. Um, You know, mothers, to me, when I think about a mom, it's just one way that God has provided for us an expression of his love. And if you've had a good mother, all the good things that you see in, in a mom or in your mom or in a spiritual mom or whatever, even if you didn't have a mom that was present in your life, or if your mom has already gone on to heaven, God gave us mothers to be an expression of his love for us. And he gave us mothers as carers and as nurturers so that we would see in them what he is to us because he is a carer and he's a nurturer and he takes care of us. And our God is a God who provides for us. He provided mothers. He created that scenario for us to enjoy. And when it's right and it's the way that God intended it, mothers are an incredible part of our lives and they're an expression of his love for us. Um, But if you didn't have a mother like that, do you know God is still that for you? So even if that person wasn't there in your life, they were just there to express who he is to you. And he's, he is that to you, whether there is a mother in that position or not. He is all of those things and more to you today. And if there's one thing that I want um, you to walk out of here knowing with all of your heart today, it is that God is a provider and he's going to provide everything that you need. So if you're looking for a title, I'll just give it to you early. You can write down, God, my provider. Every perfect gift, James 1.17 tells us, every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And God is a provider. Every good thing comes from him. And he's going to provide for you everything that you need today and and in the days that are coming. Um, We're just going to jump right in to Matthew 6. A lot of you are going to recognize this. This passage that we're going to read is actually a part of um, the Sermon on the Mount, which, which starts in Matthew 5 and it goes to Matthew 7. And so we're kind of picking up in the middle here, which is why this passage starts off with therefore. And you all know that if you read therefore in the Bible, you should find out what it's there for. So if you want to go back and start in Matthew chapter 5, you'll see what it's there for because Jesus is speaking to the people and he's, this is like the Super Bowl of sermons. It's like, it's two chapter, three chapters of, of like G, the words of Jesus to us. So you want Jesus to preach to you. This is a great place to read. Um, but it says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's difficult in seasons when you really want to go shopping. <laughs> budget. Look at the birds of the air. If, if Matt ever said that to me, I think I would find myself angered. <laughs> if I wanted to go shopping, he was like, but just look at the birds of the air. I don't think that would help me. <laughs> but this is what Jesus says, so we're going to listen. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gathered into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That one hits. And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, anybody ever baked their, like, old flowers or grass in the field? Nope, nobody. (laughs) That one I found interesting. I'm going to do some research into the history of oven baking grass. Um, Will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? So like, Marsha, 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 what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or the people who don't know God and how he provides, insert that there, for people who don't know God and how he takes care of us, they seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. In other words, your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow, surprise, will be anxious for itself. Yay! Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Why does it say that? It says that because... God knows exactly what you need for today, and he will provide for you what you need for today, today. And you cannot provide for yourself what you need tomorrow, today. You have to let God do that because he knows what you're going to, you don't know what tomorrow holds. God knows what tomorrow holds, and he's going to provide everything you need tomorrow, tomorrow. But today, 
He's going to provide everything that you need for today. And so what he's saying, Jesus is saying, is don't be anxious about all of these things because trust me, I got you. I know exactly what you need and I'm going to provide that for you. People that don't know me and don't know how I work and don't know who I am, they get anxious about all that stuff because they don't have any context for a God who sees his children and who cares for them. But, but I see what you need and I'm going to provide what you need today because God is a provider. He's described one of the names of God as Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. It is who he is. We didn't decide that God would provide for us. It's just who he is. So you can't make him provide for you or not provide for you. He's a provider, so he provides. Just like he's a healer, so he heals. He's a savior and he saves. It's just who he is. We don't define God. He has defined himself for us, and he defines himself as a provider. And you and I, as children of God, are provided for just because we belong to him. Just like you would give your kids good gifts. He loves to give you good gifts. When I was in my 20s, I was living in Nashville, and um, I was just, you know, young, and I was living up there. My friend was playing music with a guy who, like, traveled and did music, because everybody does that in Nashville, so it's not hard to be involved in that, and so she was like, hey, I'm going to Australia, because he's playing at this thing, and she's like, you should come, and I was like, I'm so broke. I have, like, swiped and shopped and my swiping is out, and I got to call my dad to rescue me. I'm so broke. And she was like, yeah, I mean, but you should come. And so we ended up coming to St. Augustine, and we took our guitars down on St. George Street, and it was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night a long time ago. So it was empty. It was not like Disney World like it is today. There was nobody down there, and we were kind of alone except for a few random people walking around, and we started playing our guitars and um, it, was, it was a joke, you know, like we, I didn't really think I was going to like earn enough money that Sunday night to go to Australia. So we're playing our music out there and just smiling, having a good time. And a man walks up and he says, um, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And I was like, yes. <laughs> I felt like this is a test. Is my dad here? Is my mom here? <laughs> yes, I do. And um, he said, well, I was at church this morning and the pastor preached on listening to the Holy Spirit and... He said, I feel like the Holy Spirit just told me to give you $1,000. And I was like, so what? What did you say? And I thought, I'm either going to die because he's crazy or God just did something wild. And sure enough, through God's provision, through this man's obedience, um, the money that he gave me with the like, change in my guitar case was almost to the penny the amount of my ticket to go to Australia. And... What I learned in that moment, because I didn't know, I wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to go to Australia and get a husband. You know what I mean? I was just like, let's go on an adventure. This is crazy. Um, and I just went for the adventure of like, God, God is taking me to this place. Let's go. And what God had in store was so far beyond what I could have ever imagined because he knew what I would need for the life that he was calling me to. And I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't have created that for myself. But God, my provider, positioned a person who was obedient to make something happen in my life because what he had planned for my future. And then what happened when I got to Australia was just God's providing over and over again. My friend, she went on to like Melbourne, Australia, and I was there by myself with some of her friends. I just stayed and went surfing and thought this will be fun. And sure enough, one morning I walk into a cafe with this new friend of mine and Matt sitting at the cafe table that we're meeting her friend at. And turns out Matt's her friend. And Maddie and I met that day and we went, 
surfing, we went skateboarding, we went to the rugby, then we went to church the next day, and he called me every day for two months and convinced me to come back, and the rest is history. You know where that all came from? God's provision. And sometimes his provision doesn't look like you knowing what's going to happen. Sometimes it just looks like you trusting the adventure of the life he's calling you to. You might not know what's around the corner, but if you trust him that he'll provide to get you there, you'll find yourself on some of the craziest adventures of your life. I used to watch my dad every month write the first check to the Lord, the tithe check to the Lord. And even, even though we didn't have a lot, we didn't have like an overabundance, there was times when it was like, well, this is going and I don't know how the rest is coming. And I watched my dad faithfully give to God what was God's and God always provide for our family. We never were without because we trusted God. And I learned how to trust God as my provider through my parents. I was talking to Pastor Bob <clears throat> this week and I was like, tell me the story again. You told me a story about how when you were young and you were pastoring, God provided food for you guys. Tell me that story again. And so I sat down with him again. And I was like, I want to share that if that's okay. And he told me this story about how when they worked for this small church in Dallas, they, they didn't always get paid because the church couldn't always pay them. So they just, you know, sometimes they would have money that week to buy groceries and sometimes they would not. And so they would sit around the table on the nights they didn't have any food ready, no dinner to put on the table, and they would sit around and they would thank God for the food that he would provide. Do you know what would happen? Within a matter of moments or whatever the time was, somebody would knock on the door with a bowl of stew saying, oh, I made extra and I just had this for you guys, or somebody would drop off groceries, or God, my provider, knows when you're sitting at a table that looks empty that's about to be full. So if you're sitting at an empty table today thinking, how will this happen? Can I just encourage you to start thanking him for what he's going to do? Don't just thank him or worry about what's happening right in the middle of it. I have a friend, and she's got an incurable disease, and, and she believed that God had been healing her. And so for the last couple of years, she's been off of medicine for an incurable disease, and they just confirmed that they can't find it. She looks like a healthy person on all the blood work. Because God is a provider. Because <clears throat> he doesn't just do what we can do on our own. He does far beyond that because he's a provider and he loves to provide in miraculous ways for his children. If you've ever felt God's provision in your life, would you just put up your hand? <clears throat> so if you look around, you're like, oh, okay, there's testimonies all around me of God as my provider. It's all through the Bible, but you know, it's not just finished at the Bible, we're still a living testimony of God being our provider. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow in Matthew 6, because he was saying, I'm going to take care of you. And so today, if you leave with one thing, can I just ask you to remember that God is your provider, and he's going to provide everything that you need. You can't earn that. It's just who he is. You just call upon God, and he comes through as your provider it's wild because just like we'll read about in a moment, the children of God, Israel, the Jewish people, it's like God would do these crazy miracles and provide for them over and over again. And you know what would happen is they would just forget. They're goldfish. I'm kind of like a goldfish. So I feel for them. I'm like, 
I'm not like, oh, Israel, they're the worst. I'm like, I would have been like first in line, do, do, do. <laughs> how's God going to help? You know, it, it's wild, but we kind of live in this open book test as believers now with the word of God. Have you ever thought about that? Like when you take a test at school and they're like, it's open book. And you're, <laughs> and you're like, that's ridiculous. Is it even a test? You just find the answer. And it's wild because as believers, we're in an open book test. And so you're like, how's God going to provide for me? Oh, I'm just going to, how many times did God provide for his people that we read about in the word of God? And so we're going to go back to the Israelites. And the context of this moment is that they were enslaved in Egypt. And we all know Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> if you know, you know. If you don't, I'm sorry. That's my fourth sorry. <laughs> um, Moses is leading God's people. God's delivered his people, and he's leading them out of Egypt. And what happens? They're going. They come to the Red Sea, and we all know the story. The sea parts, depending on if you're looking at, like, a beautifully, artfully drawn depiction. It's like gorgeous waves lifting up in dry land or a cartoon where a fish is like, hi, <laughs> from the wall of water, you know. If you know, you know. <laughs> um, miraculously, the Israelites are led across dry land as the sea parts. Can you imagine? I mean, like, truly, can you imagine being enslaved knowing that you are the chosen children of God and living in slavery and then being delivered out of that by the mighty hand of God. Coming to a sea where you would surely die because there was no way out. They didn't have boats. They weren't like jumping on the ferry to get across. But by the mighty hand of God, the sea parts and they walk through on dry lands, and the sea swallows up their enemies. Can you imagine? Sometimes I think we think, if God would just do this big thing in my life, then I would just never forget. But you know, walking with God is daily. You cannot live off a big experience, and we see that through the Israelites because they had some major moments with God where the impossible took place. But they can't live off of that. And I know that because they forget about it and start going to God. Why have you brought us into the wilderness where we're just going to die? It would have been better to be enslaved and beaten and held back and have no future, have no say in our future, not be able to worship our God the way we are supposed to worship. They're like, take us back. And they forget the miracles that God did to bring them where they were. I read those stories, and I'm like, oh, God, forgive me for the times that you did miracles in my life, and I forgot to bring them with me into my day today, into my present. So this is where we find them being led with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Just picture that. You're going for a walk in the wilderness, and you're like, oh, it's getting dark, and the pillar of fire just lights up the sky. There's no, like, flashlights. But the mighty hand of God through a pillar of fire lights their way. And day, day by day, when they don't know where to go, they follow a little cloud in the sky. Or a big cloud. I don't know how big the cloud was. There's a cloud. And they're like, here we go. <laughs> it's wild. Okay. I think it's wild. Um, so they're out there in the wilderness, and they're like, we're hungry. 
What are we going to eat? And then we read and we start getting into it here. So I'm going to give us three ways that God provides in the wilderness. Um, First of all, we're going to jump in with manna and meat. Great title. Great point. (laughs) Manna and meat. Um, Let's start reading in Exodus 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Can you guess? Okay, nobody else loves bread that much. Hello. (laughs) Sourdough with garlic, please. Um, I can't even eat bread, but I'm so passionate about it that I just eat it anyways sometimes. So behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So what's happening here is God is saying, I'm going to see if you're going to trust me. You're going to go out and get enough for every day for your family. I'm going to get up and go out and get it. And on the sixth day, because you rest on the Sabbath, you don't work, you're going to get enough for the next day. Some of the people went out on day one, and they got enough for the whole week. And then what happened with the excess they actually didn't need for that day is it would just rot. But on the sixth day, if they gathered enough for day six and day seven, it would not rot because God didn't want them to work on the seventh day. That tells us something very important. When you're supposed to rest, when God says rest, take a day of rest, we talk a lot about Sabbath and a rhythm of Sabbath in church, it's because he will provide everything that you could have done and work on that day on, the, on all of the other days. You don't have to worry about it. He's going to take care of it. And then it says down in verse 31, it says, Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste is white bread, y'all. Just you're trying to be healthy with the whole grain is white bread. <laughs> And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years which, by the way, it could have taken them 11 days to make this journey, but they were in the desert for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. In other words, until God taught them everything they needed to know so they were ready for the next season. It can take you a long time or a little time for God to show you everything you need to know. I think that just depends on our willingness and obedience to trust him and to take what he's taught us into the next season. They ate the man until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So what do we get what do we learn from, from manna? I love that God says, take an omer of it. Take a piece of it and save it. Because what happened when they took more than they needed? It rotted. But this, the portion that God said set aside as a testimony to the generations that are coming after you did not rot. Why is that important? Because when God does something in your life, when he provides for you, he will ask you to set aside a portion of what he's taught you so that you carry it to the generations that are coming. And it will not rot. It will always be fresh bread, fresh life to the people that are around you and that start to see what God has done in your life. You always need to set aside a memorial stone, a memory, something that you're taking and you're setting before God and you're saying, use this not just for me, but for the people that are coming after you. What God does in your life is a testimony of who he is, not for just you right now, but for the people that are coming after you. And you have to set it aside so you tell the stories to the next generation. Otherwise, you forget things like the Red Sea. 
The other thing we see about manna is they were instructed to get up early in the morning and go and get the manna. And then at twilight, God would send quail so they would have the meat in the afternoon. So they would get up early in the morning to go get the manna and they would get up, or they would get up again. I'm assuming they weren't sleeping all day. They would get up from what they were doing and they would go collect the quail in the evening because God was providing both bread and meat for them, everything that they needed. He will deliver exactly, exactly what you need at the right time. He will appoint a time for something to be delivered to you, and he will always deliver it on time. So if you're waiting for something from God today, if you're hungry for something, you feel like you need something, I'm telling you, God, through history, has shown us who he is. He is never late delivering what you need, but he will require you to get up to go get it. You don't just sit back and watch your Netflix and hope God will drop you an email if you just keep refreshing. There is an action that you take to be close and to be obedient to him and to watch him do miracle works in your life. You're not earning it. You're just trusting what he's called you to do. Some of us are so hangry because we don't get up and get the word that we walk around with a chip on our shoulder. And I want to show you here how God provides for us today manna and meat. We read in the New Testament that we're supposed to not just be fed on spiritual milk, but, but start to have the meat. What does that mean? It means going from having like the very simple things of God to, to diving into the depths of his word. You can't just live on the surface stuff. That's okay when you first get saved. When you first come to know Jesus, it's okay to like just start to ingest bit by bit like, like an infant would when they're starting to like have milk. But there is a point when you need more than that. But then watch this, John 6 32, it says, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. That'd be me. <laughs> then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So bread for us today is Jesus. He is the bread of life. And the bread of life, Jesus is the word, and the word of God is the bread of life for you and I today. So when it says they got up in the morning early and they went to bed after gathering the quail, that means for you and I, you, you get up early and you get in the word of God. He has provided bread for you and me every single day. Get up early, give him the first word in your life. Give him the first word in your day. That's why you get up. It's not like a, a quiet time thing that Christians do. We get up and we open our Bibles because you need him to have the first word in your day and you need to give him the last word. So you wake up early and you go get the bread. And before you go to bed, you get the meat and you give God the last word in your day. That's, that's manna and meat for you and I today. So manna and meat, number one. Number two, water. You guys with me? Okay, water. There's two places we see water um, in the Old Testament in this story for the Israelites. So they're, they're out in the desert. They grumble a ton, I, I, like, but don't judge them because so do we. <laughs> there is like complaining to Moses and Aaron, and they're like, Moses and Aaron are just tired of it, which I assume is like many mothers in the room when your kids are like, I'm hungry, I want a snack. Sorry, it doesn't always sound like that, but sometimes it really does. <clears throat> so there's two places we see people have come to Moses and Aaron. And they're like, we're thirsty. There's an, we're in a desert. There's no water out here. We're going to die. <laughs> it's so like alarming. We're all going to die. Every time something happens, I'm going to die. And he's like, God's like, just 
settle down. So Moses and Aaron go and face down before the Lord. Lord, they're doing it again. And um, I'm just going to start in Moses 17. Um, sorry, Chris, I'm not going to start at the top. Um, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall we do with this people? I just really feel that. They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. In other words, carry the thing that they saw you use to do the miracle I did before. Just walk with that. But that's not going to be enough for them probably. So uh, behold, I will stand with you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So he strikes the rock, and the water comes out of the rock. God will get you what you need from places that seem impossible to deliver that thing. He just can. Nothing is impossible for God. I feel like this is a great example in our Bible of how things that are impossible are not impossible. It was a rock. And water, like, it said gush. It, like, flowed. It fed the animals. Or it gave water to the animals. It gave water to the people. There's plenty from a rock. That's cool. Let's take one of those rocks. So that's the first time. He says, strike the rock. Second time. People are angry again. We're so thirsty. We're the worst. Can't believe we're here. Hate my life. Um, so they go again, face down before the Lord. And um, this is what the Lord says Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes. Tell, this is very important, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Tell it. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Moses took the staff. From before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels. He's mad. (laughs) I feel I just feel this so much. Shall we bring water out of you for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. In other words, because you didn't do it the way I told you to do it, you're not going to bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. In other words, they don't go into the promised land because he didn't obey what God said to do. He didn't say strike the rock. He said tell the rock. I'm going to show you today how God provides water for you and I. Um, This is a foreshadowing, what we see in this passage. The first time is the rock being struck is a foreshadowing of Jesus being struck and bruised and beaten and hung on a cross for our sins and taking the weight that we could not carry and and being the way, the truth, and the life that no man would come to the Father but through him. That was a foreshadowing of Jesus being struck. The second time, God says, "Don't, don't strike the rock, tell the rock. He says, tell the rock. That is because you and I, it's a foreshadowing for you and I. We cannot take the punishment for our sins and be enough. Jesus did that. We can't redo that. What we can do is we can confess and speak the name of Jesus and call upon the Lord and watch the living waters flow from him and become our life and salvation. I'm going to show you where it says that. John 4, Jesus said to the woman that he meets at the well, she's at a natural well. 
He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is our living water today. You can't work to get the living water. You cannot work to get salvation. You can only confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, and that is how you have eternal life welling up in you. Isn't it amazing how the Bible is all connected? You cannot tell me that it is not the living, breathing word of God because you cannot write a book like that with that many different authors and have a story that is so interconnected with prophecy and fulfillment of prophecy and truth. And it's the Bible is a miracle. You talk about miracle manna coming down from heaven. This is the bread of life. It is a miracle. This is miracle bread from heaven. It is a miracle the way that the Bible ties together. And I want to show you one more thing. So we have manna and meat. We have water. And number three, we have honey. Psalm 81, 16. Did you see the honey in the lobby? Don't forget your honey, honey. But just take one so all the other honeys can have some honey. It's for the mamas. <clears throat> honey. Psalm 81, 16 says, But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Deuteronomy 32, 13. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. God can bring good things from hard places. Psalm 1611, you have made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God provides honey in hard seasons because he wants us to have fulfillment and joy even in hard places, and he also gives them to us in good seasons. You're never at a time or in a place that's dark enough or hard enough where God cannot bring something good out of it because he works all things together for your good and for his glory. That's what he does, just like he's a provider. You can't change that about him. You're in a hard season, it feels impossible. He's doing something that he's going to bring something good out of something impossible because he loves you and he wants to provide good things for his kids. If you start getting into a beehive before the bees are done producing honey, what's going to happen? You're going to get stung. Don't be messing with the work God is doing in your life to bring honey out of it. You get stung early instead of just waiting for the process to be what it's supposed to be. God can bring good things at hard places and I'm going to show you um, how he provides honey for us today. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. This is how he gives good gift, gifts to his children. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be open. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He loves to give you good gifts. Do you know, if we go back to Exodus and read about the manna? Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers with honey. Even in the middle of the desert, God was giving honey to his people. He was a chef. God doesn't just throw something your way that might be enough to just sustain you for the day. He creates a life for you. He creates goodness for you specifically so that you can find enjoyment in the miracles of him providing for you in places that it feels like there should be no provision because that is who he is. Jesus already paid the cost. 
He provided you bread. He is the water from the rock, and he is the honey in the hard times. But there's only one way that you get to experience all those things, and that is by being a child of God. It's like we experience blessings of God in the world when we're not believers, but we don't get the, we don't get the relationship. Like our, my love for God is not religion. It is a relationship. It's walking with him through the sea. It's walking with him in the wilderness. It's watching the water come from the, the rock and it manna come from heaven and finding honey in the places there should be. It's a relationship. I live it with him. You, you don't get to live it with him when you're not a child of God. And every single one of us was created to be a child of God. So I don't know if you're in here today and you're like, I never felt those things What if you were a child of God today? What if you've been wandering as an orphan trying to store up for yourself? Because storing and like hoarding away things and controlling our lives and trying to do all that, it's just a a symptom of an orphan spirit. It's being out in in the world on our own trying to do everything for ourselves. But as children of God, we don't do that because we have storehouses where God has provided for us. We don't have to worry about where it's going to come from because he can bring it from anywhere. And so my question to you today is are you a child of God who knows God as your provider? And I, if we could just close our eyes all across the room, I think right now is the right time to ask that question in your own heart. Are you his? Do you belong to him? Have you been adopted into the family of God? Have you said, yes, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior? Have you given your life to him so that you could experience being a child of God? Because you can't work for it. You can't go hitting rocks and trying to beat your way into finding joy and happiness and hope. You just have to speak the name of Jesus and invite him into your heart. And all of a sudden, all of those things start flowing from what a good father does for his children. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you. Why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.